Hello, sweet dogs. We are new to who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new, we are the chaps with suggestions for you. I'm Stephen. I'm Dan. I'm Todd. And I'm Richard for this one. It's <laughs> hey. amazing. I know. Well, we're guests here, so we have to keep our knees together and be polite. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> Well, we've got Todd and Richard on from Flight Through Entirety. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, our pleasure. As we discuss season 22, it's 1984's Vengeance on Varos. Okay, so I guess, gentlemen, um, maybe tell us a bit about yourselves in terms of how you got into Doctor Who. Uh, and if you want to give a free plug to Flight Through Entirety, yeah. Well, it's all Brendan's free. fault. Brendan made us, didn't he? You might say. Yes, it was actually Brendan and Nathan's idea because they don't get to um, hear their own voices often enough. <laughs> so they decided to commit to a podcast in the early days when there was only dust and ashes on this planet. And, you know, and, and we were merely a primordial sousson of contradictions, weren't we? But then they came along and Brendan, I think, lost a lung in doing all the editing and then Nathan took over that. And then I um, realised that our ratings were slopping so I said Todd should come in and then and that was it really wasn't it and then we did the whole bloody lot of them <laughs> we did we did you know I was I was Cheryl Ladd to your Farrah Fawcett <laughs> <laughs> if I can use a Charlie's better angels. gams though I so. <laughs> better gams um yeah, so Flight for Entirety was, of course, um, Brendan and Nathan and Richard, and then I came in, like, part of the way through. So you wanted to know about how we got into Doctor Who? Yes, oh, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, Doctor Who was on here in Australia, like, at 6 o'clock, 6.30 every night, and I just remember watching it as a kid um, before we went to bed. Or, or mm. And so, you know, when it's strip run, you know, five nights a week, it's just part of your psyche. And I remember yeah. being in primary school, and um, it was it was... Liz Slade and Tom Baker or uh, Sarah and, and John Pertwee and, mm. and that was just the way it was. And, hmm. and Joe was before that and that was that, those were the teams. Yeah. And from that point on, I just was hooked. It's hard for folk who were born in the, you know, the post-analogue age, <laughs> as you lot are, the Anthropocene, that, um, that there really wasn't anything else. And if your parents were a bit lower middle class and left the TV on before you were eight or while you were eating, you watched Doctor Who. <laughs> And if they and if they like if they didn't have vowels, they just watched commercial TV. But nice people watched the ABC <laughs> until 1980, whatever. They did. It was nice people to watch the ABC, and and one of the nice things was Doctor Who. Except it wasn't nice, and that's why we liked it, wasn't it? Because it wasn't actually about being nice, and it wasn't made for kids, even though it was on, you know. And when it first started. And I remember when it changed over, but the very early 70s, it was still on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening at 6.30, so just before dinner. Wow. And, and it was an event thing, and people would dash home to see it. Oh, oh wow. So. But, but um, obviously for new series fans, like, you know, there was no internet. We had four, nothing. We had four <laughs> television stations, you know? Yes, if you, yeah. lucky, if right? you were lucky. And your regional, you had two or three. Yeah, so... Yeah. so you know, what were you going to do? You'd either be playing outside with your friends or you'd be inside, depending on what the time was. Making mixtapes for whoever you were burgeoning for at school. Well, that's all, it was, all it was was hormones and hope and Doctor Who. That's all we had before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Who could ask for more? It was, it was actually bloody awful, but, but there, which is why people collected stuff and wrote fanfic and sure. thought th about things and why there, I think there is such a fan base for this because there was just such a a base already there for it in the same way that Trek and you can look at a lot of Trek and think oh really <laughs> but my personal take is you know but then others say Doctor Who repeats itself constantly as well I would differ but 
Yeah, but but also as well, like you know, we didn't have DVDs. There was no, no there was no, no VHS. Repeats. The only thing you could actually collect were target novelizations. Yes. And I remember with my friends buying these target novelizations and seeing who could get the first complete season uh-huh. of target novelizations. Um, I remember going into some secondhand bookstore and, and, and begging my father to buy, like there were 30 secondhand target novelizations oh mm. and he bought them all. But wow. of course then I had to earn these things. <laughs> so you mean he, he meted them out to you after he had them all? He what? He like had them all and would give you one a week or something? Oh no, no, like I had to earn it. So I had to do chores, chores and stuff yeah. like that. And you know, so it took some time <laughs> to get <laughs> this. But you know- I but, can't imagine such poverty. I mean, as an only child, I asked for it and I got it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I wanted was Doctor Who books. So yeah, yeah I got, got, got all of them. Easy to please. You got all of them. But, yeah. but then, you know, but then, and then, you know, Doctor Who fandom was very different then, you know. I didn't get into that until very late towards the end of the new se- uh, the original series run. Let's just, I, I will make this aside because Todd never would, but the reason so many folk here, maybe slightly before you guys came into fandom, met folk like Liz Sladden and really pretty much all the other companions mm. was because of Todd. Todd was organising those oh, conventions wow. and bringing those people out to the point that folk like Janet Fielding, if I can drop names, wouldn't <laughs> come if Todd wasn't organising. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, no, it's actually true. So, so a whole lot of those conventions from the early 2000s on, late 90s, mm. is this chap here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's very generous of you. But it's true. I mean, there, were, there, were, there was a lot of other people involved. And, Probably. And They're be- all dead now. And before me. But certainly during, thank you, Richard, um, during the um, wilderness years, mm-hmm. you know, I was, you know, leading that team to bring people out like, you know, Liz, Liz Sladen and, mm. you know, Colin Baker, Annika Wills, um, Debbie Watling, oh, Fraser Wendy, Hines, Wendy, Wendy Padbury, she's gorgeous. Um, Sylvester, Nicola Bryant. So they get very know, lovey very quickly. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, and I, and I had the, and, all, and, and Mary Tam, I was involved with yeah. that convention as well, but I didn't. Mary Tam. You couldn't see her because of the miasma Don't of say smoke around her. She's still always okay. okay. It's okay. It's going <laughs> to be all right. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, so fandom was very, very different. And certainly um, my perception when I came into it in the late 80s was. Doctor Who fandom was quite elitist. Like, we were better than Trek because Trek didn't have a series. And then, of course, the show got axed in 1985 and then it all sort of changed. Yeah. That was my perception. I'm a few years it younger It got more you. interesting after 85. And the convention circuit actually picked up and people became more interesting about it and started to analyse the texts. It then became something... It's like it, the French should have loved it. If it had been a French show, oh, it would never have stopped. Sure. Yeah. But because people would have kept writing about it, which is probably the, the closest thing you can make an analogy to is that... It's, it was one of the first metas mm. or tropes, mm. as we sometimes like to say on the podcast. <laughs> Can I just say that's really tiresome? <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to Flight for Entirety, you'll know what we mean. Wonderful. Gents, thank you so much. What a, uh, a pleasure it is to have you and be in the presence of essentially Australian <clears throat> Doctor Who royalty then. <laughs> well, Todd, you know. You were at all the conventions. Yeah, but I they? heckled, much like this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was in the bar with Nathan. <laughs> so, so we are doing Vengeance on Varos season 22. It's uh, Colin Baker as so the sixth Doctor. Our first sixth Doctor. It is, it nice. is. And Nicola Bryant as Perpy Gilliam, or Perry for short, Brown. Wonderful. Um, gentlemen, our immediate reactions to these, and I'm going to throw specifically to Todd at this point, for this TARDIS team. I, I love them. I love Colin. He's my favourite yep. classic series Doctor. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really strong story from, from both of them. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, there's this perception out there that they, you know, they have this really acrimonious relationship during this season. And, you know, they're a bit tetchy at times in, in this, but there is a love, I think, in this story. Like, you know, the Doctor's constantly worried about Perry and trying to get back to her. And there's yeah. some really, there are some really lovely moments that I think get overlooked because people focus on other things, you know, over the years, supposed violence and acid baths and all mm. sorts of things. Mm. But but I I think it's, I think they actually do a really good job in this. And I think um, in on our podcast, we've discussed how good Colin is on location. It's some mm, a revelation sure. that, that I've come to re-watching. But here in the studio, I think he does a really wonderful job in this story. And, mm. and there's some sequences I might talk about later on. But, you know, um, Perry, I've always liked. Um, the poor thing is treated awfully. Yeah, terribly. Um, uh, in hindsight, and the perils of Perry as opposed to... Um, <laughs> anything else but she's also poorly served I think terms in terms of writing you know at times but I think Nicola, it's Nicola's vivaciousness and effort that make her much more likeable mm, there's a lot in that your perception what you just said of, of this well I should admit I'm I think the way this has been keyed is that we would not be sitting here both of us together saying how lovely things are and I expect I'm here to be the half tadpole, half turd on the aquarium and heckling, <laughs> oh, heckling really like a snake. But so this is the first time I've actually watched this all the way through. Oh wow! Ever? Yeah. And Gosh. I was at first year uni when this played in '86, which just shows you how archaic I am. And it, um, and it, we didn't really have time, but received opinion. And when I got home to watch it, was that this isn't Doctor Who anymore. This is mm, this is very much '80s. English TV and not necessarily in a good way mm. it was just so different right. and yeah we've we've hearkened back or you know we've foregrounded the costume choices and we've foregrounded a lot of other writing decisions or editing decisions script editing decisions actually um, but I watched it all the way through again and did a bit of reading to the background of it and I've got to say it's actually quite similar to a lot of the things I hold up as being some of the best Doctor Who as I said before because Doctor Who's at its best when it's not being Doctor Who mm -hmm. it's referencing other things sure. and I guess we're going to say a lot about Philip Martin and this is my shtick so you know yeah. a lot about Peter Weiss's Marat Saad which was still playing a lot about um, Brecht Bertolt Brecht and the Theatre of Cruelty um, or, and or, um, Titus Andronicus and Coriolanus and a lot of other of those Th these guys are RSC trained the ones in this this is a sterling cast mm -hmm. and a really amazing writer Philip Martin who had done something before Sopranos before um, Moonlighting before all those American shows that broke the fall, fourth wall a show called Gangsters, Gangsters which I think was around yeah. 1980 we had it here and I have very dim memories because it was on quite late but he started playing with the show and made a show within the show and it actually in the second season transferred to a TV studio. So it did that thing <laughs> where you're watching a show that's about a show within a show where the <laughs> actors are also, it was, God, and it's just like this. Yeah. Super, super, super clever. And a lot of folk, a lot of received fandom is nowadays, this one's not as good as everybody thinks it was at the time. Mm. Because, but I would say actually coming to it is, which is probably quite rare as a fresh viewer because mm. I am now a fresh viewer this one and Revelation are the only literary Doctor Who stories pretty much of this period right. and I think they, they really trumpet and um, 
There's a lot in this, and the cast rises to it. I even find Colin really good in this. I didn't think Colin actually found himself until the audios, uh-huh. and he is now one of my favourite actors on the audios. On the but I think he, he yeah. makes it here, and it's the little asides, which That's turns true. out yeah. Martin wrote this for Davison. So, oh. yeah, he wrote it um, right at the time when Nyssa was leaving, and this character called Turlow was being brought <laughs> in on a space whale. And Space Whale was the story that was oh. still going to be shot for this season. Yeah, that's so this little moment of this thing being sort of rewritten and rewritten, Philip Martin said to Sayward at the end of it, I'm really sorry to see this air because I have never earned so many continuing fees on rewrites in all my years as a writer. <sighs> he just kept making changes. <laughs> Sayward was a bit green as a script editor, as sure. we know. This was his first one. But um, I even started to think, try and see Sayward in another light after watching this. It's not as foul as everybody says. Mm-hmm. And the moments of cruelty that Todd will probably address and you two guys. It's, it's not... No, it's about the medium and it's about mm. the structure of what they're doing. And it's actually a real foresight into what we now accept on TV. Yes. I, think, I think that's incredible, you know, watching it. I watched it yesterday. All that yes and no voting, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, happening in real time and, you know, viewer feedback, which we all just now accept. Take for, for granted. Yeah. Take for granted. Like, this is how many years ago? Well, 30, 34. 34 years ago? Like, there was nothing Big like Brother this. Big Brother didn't exist. None of those shows existed. Nothing like Expected. this. None of those yeah. things. You know, yeah, it's quite, I think it's quite incredible. I mean, it's not my favourite of the year, era, but I think it's a really solid outing, this mm. story. Hmm. There was some party in the Australian federal election recently and probably in the the next ones who were advocating for the public to vote online on every every sort of major issue instead of having an expensive referendum. But it, like, as soon as I heard that, I immediately thought of Varus. That's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> and how... you didn't think of Black Mirror well, and Charlie Brooker? Because this, I was going to say, this episode of Doctor Who is the closest yeah, to Black Mirror yeah, that the era ever did. Mm, yeah. I wonder if Charlie Brooker was a fan. <sighs> but even reality is now beating us because the, you know China has a, an internet rating system I, for individuals yeah. that is actually worse than that episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Remember where you couldn't get a job if you didn't you have to, a rating? You rate right. social interactions? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. actually now been yeah. in China. It's not... Due to hit till 2020 but there's already over six and a half million people who were not allowed to board a flight <sighs> in the last few years because their ratings were too low oh my or catch a train which means they can't go to work that's appalling that's china well that's the capitalist communist system which hello this is the only doctor who story too that we've had that's almost an historical because i would say there's no monsters in this there's just a bloke who's Again, shattering. He's not a monster. There's two men in nappies. Oh, there's a man in That's why we're here, Todd, to, 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 you know, verisimilitude the whole thing. I, I'm onto these two. I am actually wearing one under my shorts as we speak. <laughs> we're just going to cop in a Donald Trump. In a Donald Trumpian way. I brought it. my golf club. Yeah, the, we haven't even touched on the Jerry's and the nappies, have we, so to speak? <sighs> but Sil isn't a monster. Sil is actually just. He's just because he's a black guy who is also with um he had gerontophasia i can't remember the current term for it but it's a bone bone growth not abnormality the same thing that the elephant man had but on a lesser form so but he was also because of that he spent most of his childhood in hospital and he said all he ever wanted to do was be awake for doctor who (laughs) so he spent all those years in agony and his hope was doctor who and he was writing and he was you know doing his own little voice things and he named his son uh, 
uh, in a way that he said would be, I think his name is Zen or something, but he named in a way that he thought would sound like, it's actually the Lord of Zen in, um, I think, in his own language, but which I think is Hindu. But he, he was saying that he just wanted every part of his life to be as close to. So when he did this, he was the biggest fan on wow. set. <laughs> and everyone, and he really buzzed it. If you've listened to, if you watch this one and listen to the, um, the audio commentary you can hear what a fan he is he loved it. everyone on this loved it or brought the scales up we've got Owen Teeler in this in yeah. one of his first roles who's yeah. one of the major RSC bad guys in, he's on Game of Thrones yeah, he's, uh, he is was. he? Yeah, okay, he was, he's yeah, on. nasty bastard but we have some extraordinary talents in this yeah, yeah. So. who's the fellow who's at Forbes Collins who plays the, the, the chief yeah, officer from yeah. uh, Maid, not, Maid Marian and a Merry Men there you go <laughs> vicious. But, but they all made their name and they and were earned their jackboots on the RSC mm. stage and they are incredible mm. yeah Nabil Shaban I think he's fantastic he makes it right and I remember like I was going into year 7 at school, and we would mimic that little, 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 little <laughs> sound, yeah. you know? Do you yeah. know how he got that voice? He, one of his mates, because actually, you know, all the queer folk that you meet, and I use that in the, in the truest sense of the term, who are in a hospital or have any kinds of illness that they have to work with, are very close to circus and arts people. They've got really creative, open minds because they've got nothing to lose. Mm. So the, all the old boundaries that we work in, they just don't happen. So one of his mates was a, a snake breeder for circuses and shows and for burlesque performers. And he would go over and pat the pythons and they would purr for him. And the noise that they made when Nabil was patting them is the same sound he would Holy make as the laugh. Oh, there you go, wow. It's the amazing. same sound Mar uh, Michael Grade made as he actually <laughs> <laughs> Or that Saywood still makes in interviews today. Yes. Parsifal, I think it's called. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. He's not. He's not the monster of the piece. Like the monsters, the system that they're all this horrible system. They're all yeah. trapped in. The monsters, the people, the people pressing the buttons. Mm. Well, Sill, yeah, Sill's benefiting from the system. He's found his place. So is the chief. He's found his place. Yep. The governors are kind of in a more precarious situation because they're obviously just figureheads. But it's the the people in the system, the voting system, that's the the problem, right? As soon as you open up thing, everything up to to a populist vote, your everything is at the mercy of populists like slogans and outright lies everything sorry go Steve no that was it that was the point I was going to make <laughs> outright <laughs> lies yeah well that's where I was going alternative alternative facts alternative facts <laughs> fake news right mm. Eric and Eta we touched on them isn't it lovely to have Severin back did you recognise him Severin it's from lovely Genesis of Severin. the Daleks it is from Genesis of the as Daleks as Eric and, 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 Gemma, and Gemma Coleman in her first TV role <laughs> it's lovely to see her Clara's again grandmother no um, it's is Gemma <laughs> they are fantastic. I yeah. absolutely adore the, all the sequence with the couple. And they recorded all of that at the end of, of the recording block so they actually would play all the footage oh, through wow. really were the television it on TV. so that they're actually Beautiful. watching that. Yeah. You know, I think they may have seen it once, but they're actually recording it was done right at the end right at the end so they would record their that, natural reactions isn't as possible. Any, even more nineteen eighty four you've got the people at home mm -hmm. who are constantly worried that their loved ones are going to rat on them. Or yeah. Like to tell them, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it, not, yeah. But Stephen said during the shoot, he said, oh, this is, um, I've had to write this down because my German expressionist um, quotes aren't that great. <laughs> but he said, this is actually Verfremsdung effect, as in dung effect, which is Brecht's term for alienation in theatre of cruelty or theatre of the absurd. Um, but the whole point was, oh, my notes have just disappeared, but the whole, the whole point was that it was all about the um, removal or the the alienation within or the montaging of foregrounding and backgrounding it's a bit 
sort of complex. But the idea was that the the tension of the audience watching the drama is then experienced by the actors in the drama who are experiencing that sense of dissociation. Mm. So that an audience member watching a performer, there's that kind of the shadow effect and you're going through, you know, that moment of the unconscious reaching the mind. Mm. But the actors wanted to show that pain that they're going through and then mirror it back. And you say, how would you do that? Well, there are tricks and ways to do it. And one of them is this little couple watching just mm. like the Greek chorus did mm-hmm. and and Brett did it as well with these with, with the commentators or Nathan on our podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay when he says everything's tiresome that kind of thing. it's the same it's the same deal so it foregrounds audiences thinking but then throws that into the drama so it becomes even more involved I think this is really clever yeah it is particularly clever in that regard because I think it's a framing device isn't it for the what are essentially horrific narrative events that we see unfolding before us and what we have is like a medium I suppose between the the, the, the text and ourselves as viewers mm. and there are like arbiters if you like between that action that we're seeing yeah. and framing I suppose our reactions to mm. um, to that text that, that we're engaging with it's particularly meta it's particularly postmodern and very very clever but also this is this is this is filmed when people were starving it had been a year under Thatcher with no work <laughs> and closing of the mine not just the mines the manufacturing industries in Birmingham the whole of the Midlands being shut down because they weren't making a profit do you know the only thing that actually was allowed to continue and make a profit was British armament industries and do you know the chief reason why yes they were still selling but Mrs Thatcher's husband Dennis Thatcher had most of his shares in armament manufacturer in the UK so that this story is really on the money I'm always amazed at (laughs) the links you make between what's going on in the UK and what's like because I'm too young to know you're, all too, you're all too young just aged me that's all it is I know this is all ageism I, know, I, I love the way you throw a, com- a compliment into an ageism <laughs> but, 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 I'm willing to buy that but how it's reflecting that whereas I just sort of lap it up as like you know this this story that they've got to get out of and, and they're in peril you know but, but that, that's why Doctor yeah. Who is good and I reckon that's why folk of every generation we know and I've got kids in the family who were six or seven who were starting to get hooked into it. Mm. And it's mm. for the same reasons, because it reflects the wider yes. yeah, literary and artistic community, which in itself touches on reality. So it's already two or three steps away and therefore already much more interesting. Like, do you want to eat the raw chicken or do you want to eat the Michel Bacuz perfectly cooked and glazed <laughs> version? Do you, do you yeah. want to watch the, the surface story of people running through tunnels and enjoy, enjoy the laser fights? Or do you also want to dig deeper and... Mm. find the context I think they're already and it's actually been a few years now that they've been spoofing themselves about those mm-hmm. but the fact that they're doing this again in this story like you know it's something that the early 70s Doctor Who under Barry Letts would take up issues of the day and what's going True. on there oh, and yeah. it's something that Doctor Who went away from from quite some time I think mm. and, and yes it's quite powerful that here it is reflected again in 1984-85 but we're yeah. seeing it with Planet of Giants in season 2 of Doctor Who so it's always been there yeah. You know this is going to be called Planet of Fear. Oh, was God. it? Though? Yeah. Like, is that because of all the sequences that they hallucinations? Because Philip Martin's not always, you know, putting all his effort in. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's still just a person. But um, yeah, there was also they, they just had Planet of Fire. That but, fits. That fits so much better. Where is the vengeance in Vengeance? In Vengeance? Yeah, I know. Mm. It should actually be vidcom or vo5 hair mousse of varus everyone's got <laughs> everyone's TV. starving, but they've got lovely hair, <laughs> <laughs> particularly Quillen. 
Yeah, or, I do. or Colin Taylor with his character, but everyone's got perfect hair. Perfect hair. Quillen did look. I did. Yeah, he did now, look pretty cool. Who are the other power couple? Jason Connery and what's her oh, name? Oh, it's it's not uh, Edda. It's it's Ar- no, no, Geraldine. it's Aretta. It's Aretta from Aretta. the Greek virtue. So we've got Aretta. Edda and Aretta. Aretta. It's a bit confusing. And John John Dar. John Dar, who are just like. Oh my god, they're so terrible! Yeah. <laughs> like they are Is the weakest. Is he deliberately thing. terrible? Look, Jason Connery had just played, and we all know who Jason Connery yeah, is, of course. He's sure, the yeah. son of Dion Salento. <laughs> so yes, Connery had just played Ian Fleming, and but it hadn't been released yet. So uh-huh. this is the first time everyone had seen him on telly. But right. he'd actually been doing young theatre and hanging around with his. Oh, his dad was sort of well known for other stuff as well. But he's um, they have the same torso. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> actually, I think Jason looks a hell of a lot better. But I'd like to think that he's underplaying it or doing it. As as, you know, as a spoof of that, maybe that's being a bit too generous. But that doesn't help the fact that both of them have these little uh, speeches to the doctor at various times that yeah. that are explaining what's going on sure. on the planet, and it just—it's like they're just reading off a teleprompter. But like, they are. <laughs> it is very basal exposition, and you're right. It flicks between the two of them. One does an info dump, and then the other does an info I, dump, and they suffer as a in result. In their mouths. <laughs> I kept I kept waiting for them to team up with Rondel and like. They'd, they'd find like a they'd find a you know like a rebel underground and then they'd lead a thing but that never happened yeah. it was just a five person story like I just kept waiting for that yeah was it a spoof on Roundel yeah. <laughs> that's the only the thing I can think the no, they've, the just, they've got a random two two uh, syllable Doctor Who name generator yeah Tomsel Wang Dong the Terry Nation <laughs> bag of, yeah. of truth they're so earnest they're too earnest yeah that's my criticism yeah. I think and so was TV at the time and so were those American shows mm. I'd like to think that mm. they're so would, like, I don't think this would be Sayward but don't forget this is Ron Jones he's and, a great director and he's a really good caster he really mm. gets actors and he loves actors Frontios is like totally oh, the same yeah, I, yeah. Love I remember it being quite clever at the time because I was reading Asimov and it's like this one actually this one cites a Philip Martin actually mentions it in his notes on this that he was reading um, what's the story called Extraterrestrial Civilization, which I haven't read, but it's one of those big Asimovs about story that's not far off this one. Hmm. I will bring something up now, which we brought up in the Flight Through Entirety podcast, which was the casting of um, Sewell's Guards, and ah. oh, oh yes, and it's something well, that it had to come up eventually, didn't yeah. it? The fact that they're both. Um, Black. Black. And and not thin. But and the, not unfit. That's true. But the fact that it sends this message that they're slaves yeah, and yeah. black people are slaves. And I never ever thought about it. Like mm. I just didn't think about it. And then Nathan brought this up when we did In a positive way or a negative way? Because I think it's really clever. See? I think it actually says that, you know, the corporation this, this happened mm. and it's still happening. So mm. remember it and think about it. I like your take on that because because when he brought that up, it, it was one of his big criticisms of the story and and it sort of threw me when we were doing the podcast. And we just had Roots on TV only about four years before, which right. was a major event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there had been a lot of... I, I think when you're foregrounding, we can't assume that the audience is as illiterate as it is now. And I mean that in the most, in the most non-judgmental sense. It's a, it, this is happening. Look at it. I think that's really what they're saying. Okay. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, Ron, Ron Jones is no fool. Okay. So... Mm-hmm. I'm willing to think that with, the, with, with all the other nuances and notes, we haven't talked about the acid bath yet, but I think yeah. if you're going to accept that as part of the drama, there's surely some thinking behind that. 
and how that's being presented and what that's actually talking about. And then we look at the, um, the noting, the notating of slavery here. Mm. I think that's a fair, a fair point, definitely. Um, they're, they're definitely um, cast as slaves, if you like, and it is very much an unsympathetic portrayal of not just Sill, but the, the mining corporation yeah. that he represents as well, that they are exploitative. And, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a fair comment that it would be a, a criticism of that, that racism, that, sl- that slave trading, I suppose, that they would undoubtedly engage in as a, as a you know, multi-galaxy corporation. Well, I mean, Shaban himself is a black actor or a man of colour playing mm. so... I always say, like my feminist friends and friends I have who, who are writers say, it's not my position to talk about this. I can't because I'm not a woman or I'm not a black man mm. or I'm not. It's not. I can't. Sure. I can't comment. I can look at it, but I can't say this is wrong or this is right. That's fair. It's up to them. Mm. All right. So, Richard, you mentioned the acid bath, and it's probably at this time that uh, we, we should look at the array of different torture <laughs> devices and... Oh strange strange things that pass for entertainment on Varos in what is known as the punishment dome well they some of them call it i think they're supposed to call it the people's dome of punishment and correction <laughs> like all controlling republics yeah. it's always the, the people's, people's something yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't that didn't seem to come out until like th- three quarters of the way through but i remember it yeah i think it's i mean it's clearly a um a real critique i suppose of of what passes for entertainment in the 1980s we had the emergence of the video nasty so again this is reflecting of of reflective of what's happening in terms of where entertainment is going and it's it's very clever because as you mentioned before it presages all the things that maybe are all too common in terms of our media today we've got the reality television and you know uh essentially big brother all the way up to gogglebox all the way up to gogglebox exactly where people are watching people watching television it's very recursive uh, but in within this punishment dome i think what we have uh is acid reflux <laughs> some some really interesting things that pass for entertainment on varos i think it, it speaks of the dystopian nature of this society the fact that uh you know these sorts of things do pass as entertainment and i think whenever we see things like that uh, we need to take it as some sort of mirror that's being held up to us so in terms of, I guess, maybe, maybe the most problematic scene in the, in the story, which is the acid bath scene, where we have two guards who fall into the acid bath and the, and the doctor manages to escape and has a Sean Connery-style quip at the end of it. Oof. Um, do exactly. We th- it's a proper Richard Maybaum, because mm. he wrote all those lines. He's the reason they were in there. Fleming didn't write those lines. Uh-huh. I haven't, right. but they're Richard Maybaum right from the second film on. Uh, yeah, it, and it's that's what, why it's done because, of course, we've got Connery's son in the. Ah, uh, interesting. Oh, God, uh, very you, meta. You think that's what it is? I, I, I Ron Jones, is. Is, Ron Jones, and, and sure. Martin are both clever lads. Uh, we watched it last night, and I thought, uh, uh, as he sort of slaps the doctor, kind of slapstick, sort of murders those two guards into the. Acid well, see, I don't think themselves. he does. I know, I know, exactly. but he's kind of he's fighting them, and then they sort of fall. It, it's bizarre, but the whole time I remember thinking, at least he's not going to do some kind of James Bond quip at the end, and then he <laughs> did. I could not believe it. But let's get back to that point. I don't think the Please. doctor murders the guards. Well, I no, hope not. I hope no, not. I don't. I came into fandom and was absolutely mortified that that one of the big things was like, you know, this acid path scene where the doctor dispenses the guards, mm-hmm. and I never saw it. Like as a kid, I just never saw it. Sure. And I watched it last night, and he startles one. They startles them. One of them falls in, yeah. and the other one decides to attack him, exactly. and he's defending himself, and then he pulls the other one by the leg, and he balances back in so he doesn't actually murder them oh. and then at the end he does say sorry if i don't join you mm. 
this quick thing. <laughs> and I have to say this, at the time I was watching, you know, American style sure. heroes yes. and, you know, people are dying left, right and centre and there's always some sort of quip, mm-hmm. you know, to do with things. And I have a really dark sense of humour. And, <laughs> and, so, and so I thought like, you know, I don't think he actually revels in that. He just says, sorry if I don't join you. And it's like, you can take it whichever way it's you very want. Underplayed. And it's something that a few times in his era actually says these things. And I think it's also the Doctor trying to sort of come to terms with what he's just done and make it less horrific than what it is oh, yeah, because yeah. because it's a horrific thing that's happened, right? So he's sort of masking what he's... Well, that's my take on it, what he may be feeling, that this is an awful thing and he's trying to, you know, you know, whatever, lighten the mood or whatever. But mm-hmm. I am... Com- whenever I talk about this with anybody, I will defend that entire sequence. And I can... If I now think about what's going on in other mediums film american television and that sort of thing i can see them sort of uh the parallels between what's going on there i mean these days we have all these different genre shows and you know the hero or the the heroes often dispense a villain with whatever and then there's some sort of quip you know at the end whereas then this is a similar kind of scenario but he doesn't actually do it on purpose Mm. I think he is, or the character is indulging in the luxury of objectivity, which is a very post-colonial way for a British white man to behave. And there are so many levels and layers that you can judge and criticise. But ultimately, it is part of the spectrum of British humour. It doesn't just start with John Dar's dad, although that reaches its zenith. (laughs) And really, Bond was as popular um, for lampooning the and twisting the the detective mm. tropes we've only done that once on this one which <laughs> was right. around with um eric ambler and with um um leslie charteris and with a lot of british writers going back at least a century that the british detective action hero is a british stalwart but then putting a spin and making fun and heightening the drama and lampooning it while you're in it is a very english way of or a british way of of, if you like, of pricking the balloon of distaste. And I think he does it very well, actually. I laughed. I laughed. I really did. I'm quite, the surprise of it because he delivered his line well and it was buffoonery and, yes, it's an acid bath. But seen in context, seen in, Philip K. Dick had just died and Blade Runner had, had only come out right. a few years before. And, and again, that's, that's exactly what's going on. Have any of you read, um, what's it called, Clans of the Alphane Moon? That's uh, that's Dick. Yeah, that's Philip K. That. Dick. It's it's kind of this mm-hmm. story. It's a planet where where um, the hospital of, is left alone, and they develop their own society. The but into the point that they they then end up with other continents. So the schizophrenics are on one continent, uh-huh. and the OCDs are on another continent, and there's a permanent state of war between them. Oh, but it was a, it was if you like a prison planet of of the mentally ill. Dick himself was uh, paranoid, mm. psychotic and recognized that and you know you could say that's part of the reasons his writing is so good but he also took his own life because mm. it was just too much i guess i'm not going to speak for that but that's in the writing and that's in this writing too it's yeah because what we have here with Varos is the descendants of a colony of the criminally insane yeah, yeah. it was it was a penal colony mm-hmm. yeah i will say this is that that sequence i you know i'm prepared to defend there's one at the end there's two other sequences i want to talk about at the end where they've got those vines that dispense yeah. dispense um, Quillam and the chief officer and Death the two jungle. guards. And us. The blokes and the nappies. And the nappies. Yes. Um, <laughs> We're going there now. <laughs> we'll get to them. Um, I have no problem with Quillam and the chief officer being killed, right? 
been dispensed with. As you know? villains, yeah. As well, villains. villains. Well, Shakespeare but, got away with it. Why yeah, shouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> but it's the two guards behind them that also meet that fate yeah. that I kind of think they shouldn't have. I think the main two should have been dispensed with and they could have then just run away or just you know thrown down their weapons or something like that to mm. to make it more clear i think it's a, i think that's a misjudgment perhaps a bit on either the writing or the directing or something to, at that point i just think it i just think there needed to be something a little bit to imply that the guards are just as villainous as those the people in charge we're all complicit yeah yeah you know um i like that it's sills guards that are some of the few that actually get to walk away yeah Hmm. But I just kind of yeah. think that's one that's one sequence in the story where I think those extra guards could have not been killed. That's just my feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, they talk about the violence in the story, but there's one moment in this story that I think is really overlooked, and that is when John Darr and the Doctor escape or, or go to rescue the girls from their, their transforming, and they take that guard with them, and John Darr wants to kill, shoot mm. that guard, and the Doctor stops him mm-hmm. and says, no, it's enough of that. Yeah. And it's never discussed, and it's never brought up, and it's just a moment where I just feel that anybody who criticises this doctor, sure. he's not all about, you know, being a horrible person. This is a moment where he where he shows this side to him. that Yeah, he does it twice. He puts the gun up, puts John Doe's gun up twice and stops him from shooting someone. I think it's a significant point in the story and for this characterisation of this doctor. He also gets to threaten... Um his lovely companion with asphyxiation and slow death while he's sitting in that blue Ettore Sotso's bath chair in the opening scene. We're stuck here forever and we'll never escape. And there's that big glowing penta thing on the... I could just call the Time Lords for help, but no, we're just going to sit here and we're all both going to die horribly. You know, it's really funny. When we discussed that, I called it the TARDIS bitch scene. <laughs> because they had it a number of times through the season. And Brendan disagreed with me and said Perry's actually trying to be positive and yeah. the doctor's just having this it's, he's been a drama queen mm. and so when I watched yes. it when I watched it this time it's sort of like the, he's doing this over dramatic thing oh yes I will regenerate and regenerate and you'll just you know you've only got one life to live and so you know they've had their little discussion about the cold supper and the sandwiches or whatever and and then of course he turns on a dime when you know the TARDIS power yeah. comes in and then sort of says oh you know reverses the situation where he's all positive and it's like she's not um which i find quite funny so i actually found it this time i looked at it in a different way and i didn't find it as like horrible or anything like that he's Mm. just having him having this moment and if i think back to the davison era where tegan would have those moments in her first three or four stories where you just wanted to slap her because you know having a a sook having a strop yeah and, and Davison's all been, you know, very, you know, calm. Here's the opposite, mm. you know? And and so I, I actually, this time through, I didn't have a problem with all I that really stuff. I really appreciate it. And I'll tell you why. We all know what happens now. We're all better read and better educated. We know what happens to the myelin sheaths on the brain when a patient's had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Or can you? what is a regeneration? Well, what, this is what I was going to say as well. Every doctor, if, if they've been cogent of it, and none have been more so than Moffat and Capaldi, who are the two of the biggest fans in the industry, mm-hmm. for the first season, he displays Asperger's syndrome Absolutely. personality, yeah. which is not a disorder. It's a way of seeing the world. And I believe that Baker is doing this. I agree. And, and the other Baker was doing moments of this as well. Mm-hmm. Look at Ark in Space and, oh, look, yeah. at, and look at Robot. Human. Yeah, there was not a lot of empathy there. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy does it back with the tribe of fruit gums. And <laughs> you know, he's going to bonce them all. And it, and it actually has to learn empathy. Yeah. Um, Pat doesn't okay, but that's the lovely Pat. 
Uh, John has to learn too because he's very different in his first um, five or six stories and then there's a change. Yeah, Yeah, he is. And I'd like to think, I've seen, um, I had an an aunt who was a Rhodes Scholar who died at almost the age of 100, but in the 50s she had an amazing IQ. But she was given ECT treatment in the 1950s because people with really high IQs often have anxiety disorder and that was used. That was the the common treatment, the accepted treatment for anxiety disorder. And she described what that was like and it sounds like it's very much like this, like what we're watching with Colin. You were saying this to me last night, Steve. You were saying we're we're a few into the, the season, we're well away from... The regeneration, but well, it's still displaying signs. I agree because when you think about the traumatic yeah. nature of the regen- regeneration in the case of Andrasani, where the doctor is essentially poisoned and, mm. and he staves off regeneration at least once at the end of part three, there, this is someone who, as the sixth doctor, is still suffering from that. Mm. And maybe it's post traumatic stress disorder, but I think there's also a, a degree of uh, like a physicality yeah. to, to that, to that regeneration. Something lingering, something that exactly lingers. right. Mm. So to me, the instability, I suppose, in flashes that we get of the Sixth Doctor um, can very much sort of be explained by that. Sometimes just moodiness. Well, uh, yeah, p- potentially, yeah, definitely. But I think I think what we get in that first sequence in the TARDIS where he's so despondent, it's so similar to that post-regenerative stress that we see in the first two episodes of Colin as well. Well, well, yes, but not as extreme as the no. first two episodes <laughs> of Colin. Um, but that's a debate for another yeah. time. Yeah, we've um, done that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just think there are, there are just moments in this, like, you know, when, you know, he and Perry stick their head around the corner and say hi to the guard. That was so cute. And, <laughs> and, and even when they meet back up and he's going to be um, hung, you know, they're, they're, he's concerned about her and he's putting on this front. And I think Colin's performance throughout the entire sequence is actually... I think it's brilliant because even as a kid, I would watch him and go, the "Doctor should be distressed that he's going to be hung, but he knows that some, you know, he knows something else is going on." And I think I think it's really well played. Mm. And then, of course, then he, he wants to get back to Perry, and, and at the end, they do get that hug um, after the Vine incident. And, and I know Colin and Nicola have discussed that J and T didn't want them to be hugging or anything oh. like that. Mm. Oh, so no. it's sort of like there are moments where you, you kind of think they, they 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 feel like they need to do it, but they're not doing it because they're told, "No, you can't." Yeah. Um, and then all the Perrier stuff and all that stuff at the end, you know. Um, there's there's lots of moments where the Doctor really does care about Perry, and mm. and it's obvious they care about each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's this there's just this fan wisdom from way back when that that this this story they don't they don't do it. But I think you know in Attack of the Cybermen and in here that mm. there's a lot of moments of care. Mm. But mm, there are. And there's moments of moodiness which may mask that. One of the criticisms that's labelled at, at, at this story in the past has been that the Doctor's not really involved with a lot of what's going on, like he's away from the main, uh, perhaps, villains of the piece. But just arriving on the planet sets off a chain of events and the population is seeing his adventures and what he's doing and, what per- and, and then Perry is influencing what's going on and the fact that... All of those horrible people are watching what he's doing and he's escaping and they're getting more agitated. If he wasn't there, John Dar would have been shot, the governor would be dead, yep. yeah. mm-hmm. everything would just continue, Syl would get his get like six credits per unit. Mm. So when they say he's not really uh, involved in the narrative or whatever, I'm sorry, I completely exactly. disagree. That, that's a key point, I think. I mean, when the Doctor turns up and essentially in that sort of gallows scene uh, declares that actually Zion 7 is an incredibly valuable resource and the governor starts to think, hang on a second here, you know, changes the tact of the negotiations from that point onwards. 
I think that probably could have been used as uh, the trigger for the uh, for the resolution a bit closer to the end, yes. rather than the the mining company saying pay whatever Pharos uh, yeah. is is asking. But um, it, it it needed to be a little bit more foreshadowed. But I think you're absolutely right. The doctor is critical to this. And what's really interesting is that I guess maybe it's a sayward direction where he's sort of um, moved into the background as much as possible. But I think nonetheless his impact on this story is evident through him actually, as you say, being there in the first place none of this would have unraveled this uh you know oppressive society would have unraveled without the doctor arriving i believe Mm, mm. and the post-colonialism of showing how to beat capitalism at its own game Mm. is a very doctor thing to do Mm. and he's been doing that for a very long time yeah do you like the scene where the doctor meets quillam for the first time it's so clever the mask within the mask and the uh, and the visibility of in uh, of the invisible and vice versa and yeah that he's showing well he, he's mirroring he's mm. showing the narcissist his own face which mm-hmm. of course terrifies him and then he was like, you didn't even know me with that and there's the coat and there's the hair and it's just mm. so ridiculous <laughs> but i just think colin plays that so well and then he goes like after you and mm. you know and i think anybody who criticizes his ability in the role should look even at that sequence right. And, and and see what he's actually doing. I really was hoping they would get time, more time to talk and chat, the two of yeah. them, because they were really good together in that, that brief moment. And yeah. I'd like this to have been wordier, and I don't know whose yeah. fault that was, mm. but Martin's, Martin can write dialogue when you look at his other stuff, so mm. maybe that was just editing, who knows. But I would have liked those scenes stretched out. Oh, if you watch the DVD, there's lots of deleted scenes and notes on the text that this scene was much longer and ah. this scene was 18 seconds it longer. It feels this like it should have been, yeah. It felt yeah. like it ended really quickly. So it was chattier. Good. But one of the things I enjoy about this story is that when we saw it originally, it was in four parts because That's we, got right. it, we got it. We yes. got the whole season. Yes, I was talking to Steve about this last night. Norm, I, we got this season in normal 25-minute episodes mm. as opposed to what they actually filmed. And I had no idea that they weren't. <laughs> so me too, me too. all these... Artificial cliffhangers, like the end of the, the first episode, the Doctor and Perry arrive, and the Doctor goes, "Well, who's this? Who's this?" And I then mean, it goes straight into the the, the credits, and you think, "That's right." And all they had to do was wait perhaps ten yeah. seconds for that guy to fo- fire his oh. gun laser, and then they could have gone into the credits, and would have yes. been a better, exactly, last, a better cliffhanger. Last night I was talking to Steve because when I, I think when both of us saw it the first time, it was at four thirty in the morning yes. in the early nineties when we used to get yep. up get up at four in the morning to watch Doctor Who every day. Oh, oh my god! Um, and so, but I remember. Um, the, the cliffhanger is like, oh, who, what have we got here? And then the sting immediately. And I thought to myself, that is the worst cliffhanger of all time. <laughs> yes. I love that. I actually love it. It's the other one, part three, where it's like... Is it they, just the they, desert? They, I, no, 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 part, part two. two. Part two is the normal. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Those, those, so good. Both of those. Because both. then he says, cut, cut it now. Cut yes. That's it. That was yes. great. Yes. Yeah. That is a fantastic... And even at oh. the end where it's just a blank screen, what will we do mm-hmm. now? That's fantastic. Episode three, they get Perry off and off that... The bird the thing, bird bed. and then he sort of tries to get her to come to, and then they walk off the screen, and that's the end that's of part yeah. three. And I'm just going, "What is going on?" But there's just enough of these fake cliffhangers through the season that, as a kid, you'd have a slightly dodgy one, then you'd have the normal one, and I think, mm. "Oh, it's back to normal." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so sometimes they work, and sometimes it's just like, "Oh my goodness!" Like <laughs> I still love the hacienda. It is this way from the two doctors. That's the <laughs> best. <laughs> that is the best cliffhanger, fake cliffhanger. Ever. This is the first time when, if you watch them again, and as I say, I'm an ingenue to this season. This is the first time that a 45-minute structure really works in the way that a Blake yeah. 7 episode really mm-hmm. works. 
And we can't see these. I love Blake Seven. We can't but see why? these in in isolation. That's what I keep saying. You've got to see them in the context of what was being. And and that's why Doctor Who is so good because you actually look at the literature at the time. It's not just the the films and the TV. Mm. This is a very literary piece of television. I used to be quite critical of these forty five minute episodes. Like you know, suddenly it takes so long for the Doctor to get into it, and then sort of like I love that. Like episode one is like this stretch thing, and everything then's packed into the second episode. Mm. But I actually really love it now. Well, there's less for one very simple thing there's less clangor rubbish cliffhangers that they had to put on the end because they just had to because that's the structure but I, I actually really enjoy I actually really enjoy it like yeah I just do mm. even when sometimes there's padding bitch scenes you have to deal with <laughs> um, I've got questions for our I'm going to I'm going to turn the oh, sure. take the plastic mask <clears throat> off and turn it around how do you feel about this season and this doctor okay I'm going to go on to a bit of Please. a spiel because um when I was a kid, when I was watching it at 4.30 in the morning, was set mm. the time to record it, I fully accepted that this was... Yeah, bleary-eyed. I fully accepted that Colin Baker was the Doctor and Nicola Bryant was the companion, and I loved them. A little bit later, as I sort of matured into teenagehood and whatever else and went into uni and, I guess, evaluated Doctor Who in a more critical way, I looked back at this period and was really critical of Saywood in particular and his vision for the Sixth Doctor and how it was, yes, reflective of the 80s, but did it in a way that perhaps for me didn't chime with what I thought Doctor Who could or should be. And then many, many years later, on the FTE podcast, (laughs) Todd came on and basically challenged me in the same way that you did, Dan, on Earthshock all that time ago, uh, where essentially I needed to reevaluate, I guess, my own lazy reading and response on a personal level to this text. And so what I did was to go back through season 22, which is seen as a really, I guess, sayward, grim, gun kind of season, and look at it for what I guess it is in a critical way. And what I found was far more in it than I thought was there. And it all hinges, I think, particularly on the performances of Colin Baker as Mm. the Doctor and Nicola Bryant as the Companion. I think those two are given uh, material that maybe isn't... Doctorish at times, but I can see that what they're trying to do, sometimes they play against it, and in particular we look at things like the mysterious planet and the way that they yes. spark off one another, which is brilliant, but it also happens in this season too. And so what I am especially thankful for to Todd is challenging me to reevaluate in a critical fashion in a way that I hadn't previously wanted to engage with this era and mm. think there is more to this than I thought. I mean, we've talked about Todd's at made length. me do this too. <laughs> I know the power of the quietness of the man. I Isn't know. it though? <laughs> I'm smiling a big smile <laughs> now, listeners. And so, in a public forum, I just want to say thank you, Todd, because yeah. I now have uh, an ent- I guess my own flight through entirety has been reevaluated in a way that I don't think I would have without you. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me to see this with fresh eyes in a way that I hadn't before. And thank you also particularly for, I guess, reawakening that that love that I had for this doctor in the multicolored coat and his American companion. And, yeah, sometimes they're not given the best material and, they, and it's short shrift, but, my God, they are beautiful together and I, mm. I think they're fantastic. Wow, I'm, I'm really blown away by that. I don't think that's an uncommon response. Yeah. I'm kind of feeling that as well. I've got a second question for you both. How are you feeling about the presentation of the artists? And by that, I actually do mean hair and costuming and foregrounding, in other words. 
Well, I mean, I I went through most of my most of my life not just not not necessarily disliking, but just it's just one of the one of the few seasons that I missed, and so I've never really been I've never been solid on it until like the last couple of years, and especially the last year when I watched this season when you guys were doing it on FTE, I decided to just listen along alongside, and not only added to add to the things that Steve said, but I've also just found myself enjoying it a lot more. Like I just sat back and was found myself so entertained by the season and by Varos especially. Um, but the presentation. Well, can I jump, the coat, jump in again? Are you I asking like, the coat question? I like it. I'm I've come it. to like I'm it. Actually, loving it. And I'll I tell think you it's why. Really clever. I love. I love <laughs> to hear why you. Like I want to hear this because okay. I can't. I can't do it. I know. I really am. Can I just say this is this is just a revelation because <laughs> I did a podcast on this season where the coat was just hated and I felt like my enjoyment of the coat went down 20 knots but please talk okay I think for season 22 it is absolutely right and correct that the doctor is dressed in this way he is he's scatterbrained I guess from the off with the regeneration the PTSD again exactly where I'm coming from as well in pieces disorder so his business in pieces that have been been shoved together not quite right um, exactly so and so it's reflective of that character um, I probably would like to see a bit more tailoring on it just to sort of have a bit more of that sort of V-shape uh, uh, if you look at how McNeese jackets yeah, were cut in the Avengers yeah not by Cardan but by the time um, Linda Thorson series came over by his own tailor mm-hmm. and they were so beautifully cinched in they were meant to be suits of armour but again the lines were so extreme the fabric was really beautiful and monotonal mm-hmm. and June Hudson had also said that she wanted this doctor in navy blue with beautiful midnight now. blue and but lots of brocading so lots of metallics of silver and bronze and golds to reflect preciousness and, and the deeper elements of distant stars but the basis of it was that he's a star map Mm. And that would have been really, really gorgeous. And I think Colin might have been able to mute his performance. But I actually find looking at his mental instability yes. I, and, the, and that the camera focuses on him, I'm actually really liking it. Now, and here's the point for me. Season 22 can get away with that, I think. But mm. when we come back for season 23, that's when they needed the change in costume because we have a far more mature, stable character. Yeah, I, I think it needed to change for 23. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think it needed to be... Toned down in colour because mm-hmm. Bonnie is just mirroring it and, and the, rather than opposing it as sh- Nicola does, and that's what again puts it in isolation and brings up the fragility and, and the, fractal nature of the doctor. Exactly. Everything around them and the shows has, has to come up and be much more colourful so that the coat doesn't seem yeah, so that's insane. True. Yeah, and so when the when this, the next season is a little bit more muted and a little less insane. They should have brought the coat down. And they had the mm. chance. It's in Revelation of the Daleks where the Doctor ap- appears in the blue. That's that should have been the transition point. That should yep. have been the, okay, this works for me now. Let's go into that blue and silvery number that you were talking about, Richard, because that is just where the Doctor, I think, in, in Revelation finds his feet for me. And, of course, in the Big Finish audios, they actually change him into that blue yep. a blue, blue version of the outfit. Yeah, which would look fantastic if they made it. I just don't think it should distract so much. I don't think it's so much emphasis should be put on the, the like, the... It becomes a costume, like a uniform, rather than an outfit. Yeah. Like you see, other doctors sort of they change their look over time, and it's not even a thing where oh, it's the new season, we're going to change the look like this and this. Sometimes episodes and episodes they just change little bits and bobs, like mm-hmm. you would when you're wearing, like people do when they're wearing clothes. And that's what then that's what the first four doctors did. They, yeah. it all changed organically until J and T made that's everything right. a costume. into a uniform, and yeah. that's what I don't like. I, even McCoy got to do a little bit of chopping and changing, had the duffel coat and the dark coat and stuff like that. But that's a, you know that's something that. You both Paul Peter Davison and Colin have is that they just have this costume yeah. that is very static and it feels like a, a costume, costume more than an outfit mm. 
Thank you for those questions, Richard. No, it's all right. I've got more, but we. I know this can't go forever. Oh. <laughs> but but I, I I just want to say I do I do love that costume in twenty two. In twenty three, really the, other, the other problem I have in twenty three <laughs> is is the bow tie. Like I don't think the red oh, yeah. or the or oh, that hideous yellow thing. Mm. Um, it work. It works with the the blue. The blue, yeah. Like that's what it works with. Definitely. He also looks fitter. I well, think that he's. Have, have you got Although I know I'm being fattest and ageist, so yeah. I, I recently came across photos for the first time of when Colin was cast with Nicola. Gorgeous and boy. He in looks the seersucker, like a boxer. Seersucker. Oh, he was. The seersucker Oxford boating He's so fit in it. And that d- dark bottle green shirt. That's what he should have worn. They uh, look fantastic in, the, in that yeah. um, 20th anniversary yeah photo shoot yes. they both look fantastic sort of like please what's happened mm. but I, I love them anyway the only other the only other thing that I, I keep I keep coming back to is in, there's only a tiny thing but it's up sort of three quarters of the way through is where they bring those sort of orthodox church priests who are swinging their swinging their rooms, swinging their senses smoke yes. and um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where they fit in and it just felt like going back more to that fascist Thing or even even more like how Russia, the Russian government, sort of is hand in hand with the Orthodox Church, and they use each other to enforce each other and keep each other up. And that, I just thought that was so weird. It popped up and it wasn't really commented on, and then it sort of went away. And I, I really liked that part. It was really interesting. And then there's the little joke. What was it? You oh, do you often take the priest's part? <laughs> kind of loving Colin. It's not often that the BBC will ridicule religion. Mm-hmm. Or even Doctor Who, but you know, religion doesn't feature very often in Doctor Who. This is a standout story in many ways. I'm loving this story even more. Mm. <laughs> it's not it's my favourite of the era either. So there you go. Well, I've got a little admission. I'm actually going to go out and buy. I don't own any of mm. these. But oh. I'm going to go out and buy them. I've still not watched Trial of a Time Lord, so <laughs> I might go and have a little look. Brace yourself, Richard. Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still never seen? Never seen? No. Ever. I, I, I can't. I, no. Some of it I hadn't seen since I was a kid and some of it I hadn't seen at all and it's the same thing like after listening to it at the same time as watching I'm watching it at the same time as listening to FTE I saw things that I hadn't seen before especially like Colin's performance like you were saying before yeah. how he sometimes acts against what he's given yeah. and does it it just comes out so great and parts of it are bad. this performance the- in trial is so different from the previous season and I never sa- and I never saw how different it actually is how lighter mm. and yes it actually yeah until yeah. you watched it all together in a row did I watch it? Yeah. Um, no, you never, you never saw it until. No, 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 no. no. Like, oh. like as a kid, I didn't see the difference, mm. right? But there but, is. But this time through, yeah. I did. I think there's a marked change between season twenty-two and twenty-three, oh, Colin. Yeah. Definitely. Is it just the eighteen months and the, oh. and the shock of maybe like you know him being told what he was, what, what feeling like what he was doing was maybe bringing the show yeah. to its knees. But you imagine if we had Compaldi's first season, didn't have the second season, and had his third. Yeah, that's to what me it's like. that's sort of like yeah. the jump that you have. It's so true. Yeah, and I think it's it only happens because after those eighteen months, I think a lot of questions would have been asked of, I guess, J and T and Saywood's direction, and are we doing this the right way, or do we need to rethink this and make this uh, a fluffier, cuddlier doctor? And that's certainly what we get in season twenty-three, I think. But there's flashes of it nonetheless throughout season twenty-two, and that was the revelation for me that Colin's doctor is the doctor as we know him. Even though sometimes it's buried in amongst, I guess, a whole bunch of Saywardism. But like you say, there's not a, not a huge Sayward stamp on this one. There's not a lot. I mean, we've got uh, annoying dull gunfights and things like that, but there's not an awful lot of really nasty murders. Or Although he was the one calling for the rewrites and they were going for more than four months. <laughs> mm. So a lot of this is actually Sayward. Oh, okay. He's a well-read man. Mm. He just wasn't 
yeah, his concept of what Doctor Who was, I think, is more Blake Seven than Doctor Who. That's a good point. But I don't know that he's. I, I want to watch this again, this whole series again, just to get my take on Sayward. Because I've got to tell you, when we were in high early high school, when Earthshock was on, every lad in the playground, everybody, this oh. is Doctor Who. Now. <laughs> this is, and it was really captivating and the sense of suspense and nuance and lovely performances from everyone mm. including Sarah Sutton I think she really shines in those yeah. first moments of just the gentleness and the, and showing true trepidation because she's a damn fine actor we were just saying this before with other people but, about Sayward and how no one's one thing no one's just one dimension and there's, mm. like, there's Saywards that are that stand out and that feel so different no and, and my really only I'm not griping with the man I'm griping with the creative direction yeah. and essentially Earthshock is wonderful and it's wonderful because like all magic tricks it works one time mm. but when you repeat it it lessens the impact of that like and any good joke yeah, yeah quite right yeah Todd and Richards if you could please indulge us as we go through our moment of cheese with cliffhangers Crackers or clangers, and there's only two this time. Do you want to do the four? Do you want to do the artificial? No. <laughs> I don't think that counts outside of Australia, so we're going to do the official two, I think. So, cracker or clanger, part one. In the Punishment Dome, the Doctor is subjected to the hallucinatory effects of an unremitting desert that exists nowhere except in his mind. As the camera pulls back to reveal the Governor directing proceedings as though a television show. This is a cracker for me. They stretch out the desert stuff for a little longer than I would have thought was necessary, but that bit I mean they they don't pull the sting until they they call cut on the screen that's so odd but it's so great it's a great it's a, it's a I think it's a cracker it's a cracker like <laughs> and cut it now yeah bang it's just fantastic it's so clever if you haven't seen it Burgess Meredith and Karen Black I think Day of the Locust it's a film it's a fabulous novel and it's a film about the 30s Hollywood film industry and just how it mirrored all the horrors that were going on around mm. it in real world mm. and there's a there's a similar moment yeah no it's this has got proper antecedents <laughs> <laughs> so cracker all around yeah, lovely cracker. part two with sill's plans thwarted when the galatron mining corporation tell him to pay any price in order to secure Svaros's site and seven ore the doctor and perry say their farewells to the governor who then broadcast to his citizens that varos is now a free planet Arik and edda don't know what that now means for them or for their planet what do we think, Jens? It's another cracker. Like, what does he say? What do we do now? She says, <laughs> don't know. I don't know. And then it pans up to that static yes, screen. Yeah. Imagine if all of our social media suddenly went down to, like, uh-huh. in 10 minutes' time. What, what, and we couldn't get it back. Mm. What would we do now? What yeah. would the, millenni- the, the millennials do? Our target books would be worth a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> don't think I haven't thought about that. Little EM Pulse, it only takes one. <laughs> I don't think people would cope. I don't think I'd cope. I'd love it. You'd It'd never, be great. Yeah. If the internet went down, it. you'd never sell them. That's you'd have all. to go to pubs again and meet people <laughs> and talk like we're talking now. <laughs> I think it's a cracker. I think yeah. it's a wonderful science fiction idea of what happens when you change the entire basis of a society. Yeah. What happens next? It, and we don't know. It's a perfect ending to like just a great central premise and a great mm-hmm. story. Like when you start from that central premise, mm. the, all that fiction that comes from it is just so rich. It's so, it's so great. It's a great ending. And besides the fact that you've got this Zyton 7 mineral, like, you know, which they've made up just to get there, in terms of this era, like, so many other stories have got so much continuity that you heart back to Doctor Who lore, is this, you really don't have it, you know? I think yeah. it's quite original in that aspect. Yeah. 
it's another sorry i'm going off track but you know as part of those cliffhangers and part of the whole thing is is that it's something that is it is quite uh, original yeah. as, a, as opposed to recycled mm. Mm. we should talk a bit about the cancellation if we're going to talk about further things in doctor who because i watching again this one and having looked at you know listened to the podcast with you three on fte mm. um i don't think that this it was cancelled for the sense of quality so much as the BBC had decided possibly before this or before this season that it was time to go. Jonathan Powell wanted the money and was quite explicit in saying that. Mm. But me as a long-term viewer and as of that age, just starting university, I just found the juxtaposition and the changes too great. And actually, Twin Dilemma was really it. I just sure. That stopped me watching... Mm. Although I did see episode one of Attack of the Cybermen and I saw it again recently and at the time I thought, actually, this is really good hmm. and, I think and twin, fun. I think, and now I think it's fantastic. I think so. Twin is what stopped me getting up at four in the morning yeah. Yeah, <laughs> after I saw that. It's a hard slog. <laughs> All right, we're at the point where we're going to throw to Bridget and find out what did Bridget think of Vengeance on Barros. Now it's my turn. Well, we're back. We're back here with Bridget on the couch, uh, and we're here to find out what she thought of Vengeance on Varus. So, Bridget, first thoughts? That was some dark. It was. It's pretty. It's pretty dark. It's dark and stormy. It's uh, real dark. Like there was moments where I was like, "Is this for kids? Yeah. Probably not." Did the doctor just push someone in some acid and then yeah. just have a quip and be like, yeah. "Suckers." Bye. Is this the doctor we know and love? Yeah, what does he say? It's like, uh, you'll thank me, you'll forgive me if I don't join you. And it's like, what are you, like James Bond? That's so mean. He just murdered someone. He's just a henchman doing his job. Yeah, he's got a family. He's got a family, likely. He's got a mum. Well, yeah, I assume so. I assume versions have uh, a regular life cycle with mums and dads, but, you know, who knows? That's real. You don't know, really. He's at least got a pod of... Um, you know, know he's not free. That's all you know. It's not his fault. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so yeah, it's dark. It's pretty dark. It's nasty. Yeah, this it's a high body count, not only regularly but also the doctor like pulls up at least four people, right? It's I know. Pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up. You didn't like that. I noticed that. I didn't like that because it just seemed like a bit like harsh for the doctor. But I really liked this episode. I th- I think it's really well written. I actually really yeah. enjoyed it. It was fast paced and it was interesting. It was good. Uh, what did you think of uh, Colin Baker's Sixth Doctor? I know that we kind of like Steve and I in preparing Bridget for it because it was her first Colin Baker ever. We kind of prepared her with sort of like, I suppose for a long, for many years, it's kind of accepted wisdom that Colin Baker is perhaps not the most loved of all the Doctors. But that, I don't know, I think, I feel like in, in recent years, people have sort of come around to the idea that he's a who's nevertheless a brilliant actor who may have been delivered some bad material and working under less than ideal conditions but you you liked him right when i first saw him i was like what's this <laughs> oh my god what is this outfit they yeah put the outfits in? uh take some back oh my day. gosh like of course it's like fraught from, with disaster from the beginning with that suit yeah that it's like you can't take him seriously but then he's just like okay i have this ridiculous clown outfit I better be super serious yeah. to like counteract <laughs> that. I'm just going to be like, ha ha, acid. Mind if I don't join you? Ha ha ha. 
Just to like counterbalance it? Yeah, I feel like like to counterbalance the ridiculous of his outfit, he's like a... He, he has to goes, be mean. No, he just gets super like, not not Shakespearean, but he just gets very, he's just like a very classic actor. Like uh, he gets very serious and he's I very I think he's really British. good. I really like the episode. I, I think he's cool. Him. Yeah, because we, we kind of prepped you to, to be like, well, you might not think he's that good. Go easy on him because I know, you know, and then I couldn't understand good. it. But then you were like, "Oh, other episodes are worse." Yeah, I was yeah. like, "Okay, whatever." Varos is is a good example of Colin Baker, as in like it's one of his, one of the best stories. I think it's he does quite well in it, and it's um, I think the story is good. The story is really good. Uh, what else did you like? Did you love um, son of Sean Connery, James Connery's acting skills? Yes. Did you also love his Sean Connery identical torso? I loved his sandy blonde eightiesness. <laughs> I did love that. What else did you like? Uh, what about the um, extremely fast-moving, action-packed chase scenes involving the the very speedy golf cart? Yes, I enjoyed that too. That's yeah. true. <laughs> you, you said at one point, you were like, get out and walk. It'll be faster. <laughs> That's one plot hole. Yeah. There wasn't very many other plot holes, though. I enjoyed it. So generally, like the it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty nasty plot, and it's kind of, it's quite 1984 in a lot of ways. Like there's some... A lot of people watching stuff on TV and being coerced to like dob, um, to dob in on, on their uh, family members. You know, tell tell on their family members. It's pretty dark. What did you think of the overall world building kind of a kind of thing? It's kind of where we're heading. Really, it's kind of like, oh no, are you <laughs> a saying, comment on the future? Yeah, you were saying it's kind of like reality TV. Yeah, it's like what else could? How more extreme can reality TV really get? And it's like, oh yeah, that's probably where we'll go. Yeah, it's not that much of a difference to go from 100% hotter to... Um, to that show is so brutal. Yeah, to go from um, TV show 100% hotter, which Bridget watches a lot of on Netflix. It's not a big step to go from that to laser torture uh, on a screen of a man who's about to die. I don't feel like it's that much of a step. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can get used to anything, really. Sure. And like that kind of violence, like... There's violence all over the TV. You just get used to it. You don't even see it anymore. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, it is pretty violent for a Doctor Who story, right? It's very, very violent for a Doctor Who story, especially when you put it with the new Doctor Who as well, mm-hmm. which is definitely aimed at children. This is like an adults-only Doctor Who. Yeah, that's a- how I feel. I kind of felt like, as a kid watching this, I would just be traumatized, mm. essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot like of torture. What? Why did my idol push that guy in acid? Yeah, I don't why know. Why did he murder someone with a laser? Like, he just horribly killed someone. My, yeah, I mean, and he's holding guns to people and stuff. Why are people murdering people for fun? Like, these are the questions. Yeah, all the bad guys, like, super delight in torture and pain and but death. Even regular citizens would be like, yes, push that button, oh, and yeah. watch someone die. It's yeah, like yeah. everyone is just reveling in the joy of death. But they uh, don't even find it that joyful. They're just like, meh. It's how it is. And your, I think your favorite character is pretty obvious. I think it was definitely Sil, right? The, um, the sort of reptilian um, corporate overlord. Oh, he was so good. Hmm. He is fantastic. I love his little... <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do that all the time too. That's my catchphrase. He stole my catchphrase, but without even knowing it was my catchphrase. He stole it in the past. He stole my future cap. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He's so yeah. slimy and you just like love to hate he him. He is a brilliant character. But he was just so, he's so captivating. He's captivating. Yeah. The slug man. Mm-hmm. And, and watching him, even watching him lose at the end and he's like. And when he's being spritzed <laughs> and, he's, and he's losing, he's like. It's like, oh my God. I love that to like get ready for like his masters to arrive. He's just getting moistened. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Yeah. And he's like, ready my mirror. 
He's <laughs> watching himself getting spritzed. He's like, Lah! it's the best. Hey, now he is. He makes it. He's amazing. Yeah, he does. He does return in another story that is Steve's most hated Doctor Who story of all time. Oh so no! I don't think we'll watch that together, but well, maybe oh. we will one day. What yeah. is it? Uh, it's called Mind Warp. Just for future reference, it's mm. pretty horrible. And it, yeah, it's nasty. It's more more horrible manhandling of Perry. Oh yeah. Oh. It's pretty nasty. That is nasty. Uh, with the fatter Colin Baker as well. He takes a year off and gets chunkier. Oh. Yeah. Where do you reckon he goes? I don't know what he did. Just, well, it seems like he was just eating in a room for a year. I don't know. Oh, so the doctor gets trapped in a room. I would watch that. <laughs> no. I would be like, what will you today? In like five minute segments, he just like gets a hamburger. Or, and then the next day when you're eating your if, dinner, it's like, what is the doctor eating? I don't know if your sixth doctor on. is a hamburger fan. I don't think he's a hamburger guy. Do you reckon he's vegetarian? Well, the last season he might be a hamburger guy, but you know, now we're just body shaming Colin Baker. I don't know if that's cool. I reckon he's a babe. Hey, I'm into him. Yeah, right. Yeah, you said that a few times. Yeah, I just wish he didn't have to wear that jacket. Yeah, the outfit's a bummer, isn't and it? And then he wouldn't have had to be so mean. Yeah, I like him and Perry together in this one. I mean, he, they don't get a lot of like hangout time, but at the start, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, let's reminisce on their relationship. Do you, and, you, and you like Perry, right? Because you saw Perry before in Caves of Androzani. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, I like her. Yeah, she, she's cool. In both stories, she doesn't get a lot to do other than be menaced and basically have her life be in danger for the entire entire story. Yeah. But she wears it well. What do you reckon that she would do if she went off for a year and came back? Maybe she would like watercolours in Spain. And she'll come back. Ah. I don't know. <laughs> Just take a year off, go swimming, go to, go to a beach. Maybe gymnastics. She'd t- do gymnastics because she's always wearing those leotards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. She's come back an Olympian, eh? So, Bridget, uh, as someone who is often forced, as a partner of someone who loves Doctor Who and is often mm-hmm. often cajoled into watching it, would you recommend this as a as a partner of a Doctor Who watcher? Yes, I would actually recommend this. Cool. So you're into it. Especially if you're like, only want to give one Colin Baker episode. Not that I have had any others, but I assume that this is the best. It's all downhill from here, but I, oh. no, it's still <laughs> enjoyable. Like, I'll still watch it with you. It'll be great. Will it, though? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely recommend it. I think it's dark, so don't don't let your small children watch it. Yeah. If you're gonna, <laughs> don't watch it if you're having a really great day. Like yeah, don't watch it if you're having a great don't day. Don't watch it at the end of a. Don't great watch day. it on a date. Yeah, definitely not on a date. Oh my god. Jeez, that's a, wow. It's a bit more fast paced than the other ones you've made me watch. So if you're tired, <laughs> you can watch this one. If you're sleepy. If you're sleepy, this is cool. Oh, because it keeps you awake. It's not it's, like Inferno. Yeah, it's like oh, oh my gosh, she dies almost dies so many times. Right. It's just like. I actually felt the intensity there and I actually felt like, oh no. Whereas in other episodes, I'm like, kill him. I want this to be over. So if you if you were watching this uh, story on a screen and you could vote yes to let it live or no to murder it. Yes, live it, yes? make it live. Make Excellent. him a less mean, but make him live. Give him a different jacket. Yes, 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 yes. Button, 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 button. Okay. And uh, just to recap once more, one more time, better than Inferno? Oh, Yeah. You think yeah. everything's better than Inferno? I want to see Fat Colin Baker now too. I'm going to do some Googling after this. Excellent. All right. Colin Baker, if you're listening, I'm sorry for body shaming. No, you. don't put that in there. <laughs> we love you. All right. There there you go, guys. That's Bridget's uh, take on um, Vengeance on Varus. She liked it. Uh, back to you guys in the, um, in the real world. Bye.
Bridget, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you enjoyed this story so much and all those wonderful points that you've made. <laughs> I both agree and disagree completely with Todd on his point. <laughs> well, we always love hearing Bridget's take, so thank you for thank you to Bridget as always. Thanks, Bridget. We asked this question of all of our guests, and I'm going to ask it of you two gentlemen. Why should we watch this? Why should anyone watch this? I just think it's cracking good television. I think that it really demonstrates how good Colin is in the role and the fact that the Dr. Perry relationship isn't all horrible Mm. and there's a lot of love there. And I also think that if you saw this a long time ago and were influenced by fandom and perceived facts, I think you have to go back and really watch it because I think there's a lot of stuff over the years that has become it's become like this is this is how it is like this is perceived wisdom perceived wisdom Mm. when in fact it's not Mm -hmm. i just Mm. think and it's it's an example of 45 minute episodes doctor who paced beautifully and done so well in studio in the classic series and you've only got what six stories to pick from Mm, this is true it's one of the cleverer of this season which again i don't know very well but this one in revelation Mm. Uh, it's it's being better than it needs to be and it's foregrounding or foreshadowing not only what we've experienced now but stuff that was going on at the time in really quite clever and subtle ways and showing what the BBC does which is best which is theatre on TV Hmm. and then taking the piss out of how they do theatre on TV with some of those very same performers who are doing BBC Shakespeare on Sunday evenings Hmm. They're here doing this now. Martin Jarvis is great in this. We didn't even talk about. We didn't even talk about how how he was almost the fifth Doctor. It's it's the hair. Jarvis is great, and he can do it without a silver rubber glove chicken thing on his head, (laughs) like he did in his first. Was it his first or second appearance? First, as Iridius, wasn't he? He Was one of the he was one of the Iridians in um, was it the Chase? Oh, the Chase. The Chase. chase, It all it's like cotton madras. But wasn't he in the web And then then he's he wears those lovely panda pajama bottoms and moth wings in as a monoptera in Web Planet. Yes, and he and he manages gravitas. You know, show all about gravity. He manages gravitas Mm. in that as well. There's that lovely moment with Syl with his translator. He said, don't let him know that it's not working. It's one of the few pleasures I have left. <laughs> but the governor's not necessarily a nice person. Like, you know. No, he's human, which is the yeah. horror of it. Yeah. He's, he's just as capable of cruelty and indifference as, as he is of compassion. Like yeah. all of us. Just to flip it, and there you are. So that brings us to a close for this month and Vengeance on Varos. Dan... What's it next month? It's gonna be it's gonna be Mark Platt's Ghostlight, the, one of uh, one of the, in the out of the final season, one of my favorite seasons. Season twenty six. Yeah, Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Eldred. Wonderful. Okay, we look forward to that next time. All right. Well, we got to thank our guests, Richard and Todd. Thank you, gents, so much for coming on and talking Vengeance on Varus. It's been an absolute pleasure to reevaluate what, for many of us, I guess, has been a bit of a lost era. It's been great fun, actually. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. It's it's been a pleasure. I've I've really enjoyed this particular podcast on Vengeance on Varus. I've only ever done one other, but this one I've really enjoyed. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't there for the first one, so I take no, I take no qualms. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you very much for asking us along. Lovely, thank you again, guys. You can buy the DVD of Vengeance on Varus from BBC Online, or buy and download the episodes from iTunes. 
You can follow New to Who on Twitter at New to Who Podcast and also Facebook or even email us at New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. All our episodes can be found at New to Who.com on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel like subscribing to our podcast or leaving a review, it helps, helps people find us and helps us get out there. So we'd really appreciate it. Yes, we loathe goodbyes. So until next time, I'm that sweet sense of self-pleasuring that comes from hearing you scream. So really, I couldn't hear them at all because I'm deaf now. Thanks for listening and good night. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>